The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. One of my um, treasured childhood memories is annually watching the 1939 version of The Wizard of Oz. And in case you're wondering, this was, I wasn't around for the original. <laughs> I was a child. And these were repeats. But I, every year, I used to look forward to watching this film. One of the things that I loved was how the, the drab black and white scenery turned to vibrant colors when Dorothy and Toto left Kansas and found themselves in Oz. I enjoyed watching the munchkins, particularly the trio that sang, we represent the Lollipop Guild. They kind of freaked me out. <laughs> but I was still fascinated by the flying monkeys. But I think what I looked forward to most each year was the scene in which Dorothy after being told how to get back to Kansas by Glinda the Good Witch, says goodbye to the Tin Man, the Lion, and the Scarecrow. And when she comes to the Scarecrow, if you recall, she reaches up, whispers into his ear, I think I'll miss you most of all, and kisses him on his cheek. And every year, Without fail, and it almost happened just now, my eyes would well up. No profuse sobbing, but tears. Scenes like that get to me. I'm very sentimental, and it doesn't take much to get me crying. Tuck that away, and I'll come back to it. As um, Mr. Jalovic said, this is something of a sequel to the message that I um, gave last, last uh, month on the nature of love. And just by way of a brief review, in that message I said that if we're careless, we can easily and unwittingly embrace commonly held cultural notions of love that are errant and um, read them into the Bible whenever we come across the word love. And I noted that if our notion of love, if our notion of what it means to love is foreign to how the scriptures define and describe it, we can think we're obeying the command to love one another when in actuality we're not really obeying the command even if our intentions are good. And I said that if we're committed to following Jesus, a question that we should ask of ourselves and one another with some frequency is this. How closely does my understanding of love, of what it means to love, correspond to what Jesus taught and modeled? about love. 
And in that message, I offered three statements about love according to the Bible, the first of which was that biblical love presupposes the existence of real, objective, knowable goodness. And biblical love seeks to influence others toward it and by it. But it should be obvious that from that statement that while that is part of what it means to love one another as fellow creatures, it would be a grave, grave error to conclude that the manner in which we are to love God is identical to the manner in which we are to love our neighbor. Indeed, it cannot be the same because God is our creator and not another creature. Loving our neighbor involves doing them good, meeting their needs, seeking to move them toward that which is good, but none of that can apply to God. He has no needs that we can fulfill. He has no deficits or deficiencies. And more importantly, he cannot be moved toward the good. He does not need to be moved toward the good because he is goodness. He is goodness itself. Anything that we offer him, he has already given us. And therefore, we can't bring him into our debt, bring him into our obligation. We cannot benefit him in the way that we think of when we speak about loving each other. So what does it mean to love God? How are we to love God? We find the answers in the words of Jesus that we heard from John's gospel. But before we get to them, we have to do a little background. I realized in selecting that portion of scripture that I was jumping in midstream. And so I wanted to just kind of get a running start so that we can end up there. We're in the upper room in which Jesus partook of the Passover meal with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. While they were eating, Jesus did what had not occurred to anyone else in the room to do. Or maybe more likely, it did occur, but they just kind of pushed it out of their mind. He took off his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he proceeded to wash the feet of each of his disciples, wiping them with the towel. Perhaps this was prefiguring the work of his cross, him bearing their filth on himself in the process of cleansing them. He told them that in so doing, he was giving them an example. He said to them, if you look in John chapter 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so. But if I, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, 
so you should wash one another's feet. And it was on that evening that he said to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But wait a minute, how is this really a new commandment? Because the command to love your neighbor as yourself appears in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, among other places. No, it wasn't the command to love that was new, but what was new was the commandment to love as Jesus had loved them. John prefaces this episode with these words in chapter 13, verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And Jesus said also on that occasion that it was going to be this mark of love, that the world would know that they were, and by extension that we are, his disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. So in that passage from John 14 that was read for us, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, his soon death. And he promises that though he is going to go away, he's going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, he refers to him as, and because this, some, this comes so closely after Jesus declares himself to be the truth in John 14, verse 6, it is very likely the case that referring to the spirit of truth is saying that the spirit's ministry is going to be one of bearing witness to, testifying about Jesus, who is the truth. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a and depending upon what translation you have, helper, comforter, advocate, whatever, all of those words are trying to convey a, a Greek word that means someone who come, is called alongside to give aid. In some cases, that was legally, in which case we get the idea of advocate. In other ways, it's giving comfort. So we, some translations say comforter. In any regard, he is promising that there is going to be another of the same kind helper, and that is the Holy Spirit. And it's in this context of teaching them about the Spirit who is to come that Jesus makes an emphatic point about what loving him and therefore what loving God looks like. We were talking, and this was not planned, but I'm glad that we were talking about the importance of repetition because in these few verses, Jesus makes a very strong point by way of repetition, emphasis. He is answering the question, what does love to him look like? What form does it take? I just want to share some of those with you. John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. A little further down in verse 23, Jesus answers Judas, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And in the very next verse, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, before we go on, let's clarify something. In saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus is not doing what all too often we have either said or been the recipients of. If you really loved me, you would. And let me tell you, particularly ladies, any man who prefaces something with, if you love me, if it's not followed by, you will help me grow stronger in Christ, run. <laughs> it can go the other way too, so, but that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not trying to manipulate here. He is not trying to cajole, he is not trying to guilt. He's just making a point, a statement of fact that if one truly loves him, that love will take the shape of obedience. The demonstration of love to God is obedience to God. Now, surely the commandments that he had in mind included the new commandment that he had already given them, that he had told them uh, to love one another as he had loved them. And we don't want to gloss over that. To make light of the obligation as Christians to love one another is to make light of Jesus himself. Because that is his commandment. And so we dare not treat that cheaply that is the kind of thing that should be on our mind when we're thinking about what it is that we are going to post, what it is that we are going to say, how it is that we are going to treat one another. But notice that Jesus refers repeatedly to commandments, plural. So while he most certainly has in mind the new commandment that he gave to the disciples in the preceding chapter, that they love one another, this cannot be the only commandment he had in mind. His followers are to strive to obey all that he taught. We see that, for example, in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where he tells the disciples to go into all the world, to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you commanded you. The second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, is still the second commandment. There is a first commandment, a greatest commandment, and that is to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Taking a cafeteria-style approach 
to Jesus' commands is not an option. And by Jesus' commands, I'm including more than the red letters in the Gospels. Because Jesus promised that the Spirit was going to lead the apostles into all truth and that he had more to tell them. And so I'm saying the apostolic writing, these are Jesus' commands to us, and it is not for us to decide which of them we are going to keep. It is not for me, for example, to focus on what Jesus had to say about social ethics while rejecting or neglecting what he had to say about personal ethics, or vice versa. No, to love him is to keep his commandments, plural. Love for Christ is demonstrated by seeking to obey the fullness of his commandments in the power of his spirit. And so all of this discussion about obedience is in the context of the promise of the spirit, the helper. So what does any of this have to do with the Wizard of Oz? Well, there are times when I think about God, when I sing, even today, and I will weep. Tears will come to my eyes as I think about the grace of God in my life. But, you know, temperamentally, as I said, that's kind of always been me. And I kind of wish that Jesus had said, if you love me, you will cry when you think about me. Because that comes naturally to me. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will, you'll keep my commandments. I don't know if you can relate to any of what I'm about to say, but as I was thinking through this, this is true for me. I am a prone, I'm prone to assess my love for Jesus by how I feel rather than how I live. Now, I don't mean to dismiss the affective, emotive aspect of our relationship with God by any means, but that is not the demonstrable point. I am prone to assess my love for Jesus by what comes easily to me rather than what is costly to me. By focusing on what it is that just kind of happens, I can easily blind myself to the volitional aspects of daily mundane obedience that Jesus says is the mark of loving him. I can cry all by myself. I'm prone to assess my love for Jesus in highly individualistic rather than communal terms. I am inclined when I consider the expression of my love for God to do it in a very individualistic sense. But especially in the context of what we just saw, one of the emphases of Jesus' commandments that we are to keep is that we love one another as he loved us.
towards the end of chapter 14, if you have your Bible open, the passage that wasn't read, it's not included in what I um, selected. But Jesus says something to his disciples, very much in keeping with what we're talking about. Verses 30 and 31, he says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. In calling us to demonstrate our love for him by obedience, Jesus is simply calling us to do what he did. Loving his Father by submitting to him, obeying him. I am not talking about perfectionism. I'm talking about striving to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness. And when we fail and fall and sin, as we inevitably will do, the obedience that is called for then is the obedience to the gospel. What it is, who it is, that is my righteousness. Who it is who has won my pardon. Who it is who has fulfilled all of the law on my behalf and borne all of the wrath that is rightly due me. The love that Jesus is talking about, the obedience that he's talking about, is an obedience, as John says in his first epistle, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The regenerated heart finds progressive joy in the obedience to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the, the wonder of your spirit, the spirit of truth, the helper, the comforter sent forth from the Father, who has taken residence in the heart of all who have trusted in Christ. Lord, as we consider these things, we pray that you would have them press upon us with great, great weight. We know that you do not convict your children out of any sense of condemnation, but for our good that we might share in your holiness. So where it is that we are looking to anything else as a measure of love towards you than what Jesus has identified, correct us. Lord, may we find increasing joy and delight in your way, knowing that this is the way of life and peace, and above all, that this is the way that glorifies you. And may your glory and your fame come to mean more to us than any temporal, cheap, fleeting notoriety or glory we might strive after. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the power of words of which we, we heard. Thank you for the power of repetition that we see in our Lord's words this morning. Seal these things upon our hearts. Have your way in our lives today and in the days ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.